0: in session with Dr. Faded Hulakwi.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host Dr. Fadid Holoquwe and I'll be with you for the next 2 hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So playing a little bit of catch up with the books. So I'll do a book uh, today's show. And then for Monday's show, uh, the book will be The Undiscovered Self by Carl Jung, The Undiscovered Self. And from my understanding this is one of jung's later works so looking forward to reading and sharing it with you next week the book of the week from last week or this week that i'll talk about today is from strength to strength by arthur c brooks from strength to strength finding success happiness and deep purpose in the second half of life and um, i saw a few books in this realm about midlife, second half of life, and this one just judging books by their covers and short descriptions, I I landed on this one. Um, and I did find it quite fascinating looking at how to look at our lives or how we p- prepare for our lives or live our lives and that as is often the case, we have to change strategies or change the ways that we do things. But as creatures of habit and really more than just habit, it's comfort, we tend not to make changes. And so he shares how for many people in in their youth, they are what he calls strivers, this always striving to do more and to uh, move up professionally and to make more money and have this certain type of mindset and focus, but that this striving mindset is not going to do you well later in life. And He starts early on with the uh, what you might call depressing upsetting news that you will decline sooner than you think that when they ask most people um, how how old they will be before they need to retire or how old they'll be before they start to let's say lose their touch when it comes to what they do professionally people tend to overestimate how long they're going to be really good at it and underestimate um, how soon it might show up. So he says, your professional decline is coming much sooner than you think. That's a title of a whole chapter. And so if we think we're going to maintain our skill level in the way we do things and try to do it the way we've always done, we're likely to reach a rude awakening where we start to see that we aren't as good. We keep trying to do more but we can't do it. We feel like we're falling behind. And not only that, as he he talks about many people who are workaholics or in this striving mindset, um, they haven't invested enough in their relationships, so they don't have that to fall back on either. And so many people find themselves very, very sad, upset, uh, feeling like a lack of meaning or purpose in their life later in life because they've been thinking that what got them success is what they need to continue to do. To, to live their life happily. He uh, starts off early, he mentioning these two curves of intelligence that I'll talk about, and one of which does decline much more quickly. The other one doesn't need to do so. So um, he makes this distinction, which he didn't make. It's originally was by um, Cattell, Raymond Cattell, who wrote a book in 1971 about abilities or called abilities their structure growth and action and so he differentiated between two types of intelligence fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence and so the way he defined fluid intelligence was the ability to reason think flexibly and solve novel problems to reason think flexibly and solve novel problems and this is highest in our youth even in our 20s That's when you'll see a peak there then this fluid intelligence and sometimes this is what we think of as like raw smarts usually when we think of someone being smart in some of the ways it's traditionally used it's more of this fluid intelligence and so unfortunately that does peak fairly early and then declines but the good news is there's also crystallized intelligence which was defined as the ability to use A stock of knowledge learned in the past so this is using all the knowledge information that's been accumulated to use that to come to decisions or to give advice or to figure out patterns in things and so as uh, the author of this book um, puts it arthur c brooks says that when you are young you have raw smarts when you are old you have wisdom so the crystallized intelligence is more of that wisdom and so we would benefit from recognizing this and even shifting our even it could be career completely but even what we do within our careers and our professional lives to move towards something that utilizes this crystallized intelligence more than the fluid intelligence so throughout the rest of the book after he introduces this concept he talks about jumping on the second curve um, and even he has the, these curves uh, in the book early on where the the fluid intelligence, we see a huge dip early and then it never gets back. Whereas in our crystallized intelligence, this wisdom can keep growing. And that's something that we in some ways intuitively know or recognize. We see that the people that can give us that wisdom, we assume they have to have some level of age to give us that. And that often is the case But because it's this accumulation of different Knowledge, patterns, things that they've seen, information that they can then synthesize to to give some type of feedback that can be meaningful. So he urges us throughout the book to jump on this second curve, um, which, again, is always scary because if you're used to doing something and it made you feel like that was good and that made you successful and made you have what you wanted, to switch could be be very scary. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, I mentioned the next book I'll be reading is from Jung and he had this great quote from Jung about how, you know, we can have certain goals or there's things that we do um, and it's not that they're black and white good, but it really can make a difference what stage of our life we are in, how much it makes sense. So um, he he quotes Jung who says, what is a normal goal to a young person becomes a neurotic hindrance in old age. So if we are fixated on certain types of goals or mindsets that uh, we were chasing when we were younger, and that maybe even made sense when we were younger, if you continue to have them into old age, um, they really turn into problems. And so throughout the book, as I mentioned, he talks about jumping from this one curve to the other. He also talks about what we invest our time in, and he shares uh, research from the longest study on happiness, which makes it quite clear that, as sometimes it's put, it's to love is the most important thing, but what that boils down to is our relationships and the quality of our relationships. So as I mentioned, he shares how often people who are workaholics and focused on striving and having a certain type of success, unfortunately, they do that to the detriment of their relationships, whether they are married and have kids, those relationships, and also the friendships that they have. And so we have to be conscious and deliberate about the ways that we invest our time. And if we are investing in the wrong things, we're never going to be happy. And this is something I see so often where people are so focused on um, success, fame, these things that we think we're supposed to be chasing. And that if we get, we're happy. Look how happy uh, the rich people are, the famous people are, whether it's on social media or whatever exposure you have to them and what I find unfortunate is that you lose either way because most people won't achieve this level of fame um, or wealth that we're looking at or success and not only that even when you achieve it you likely find someone who has more because it becomes such a comparative type of a success so there's always someone making more than you who did it younger than you who's more famous than you who has more followers than you so you rarely even get that satisfaction but Um, even if you achieve something that you think is worthy of feeling good about, you might feel good for a little while, but then people don't feel good. And unfortunately, then what they tend to experience is, well, then something must be really wrong with me because I have everything I want. I have everything I'm supposed to want and need, but somehow I'm unhappy. What's wrong with me? And we see this happen so often with people that become successful, that, um, get the type of, uh, outward success we think should make them happy but when we see how unhappy they are because the recipe of life what makes us happy is not going to be those things no one ever feels so good because they have so much money that on their deathbed they feel good about that what makes them feel good is the quality of their relationship so I, I valued this uh, feedback that he has or this advice that he gives throughout the book about the ways that we can make sure we're not running ourselves on this treadmill that we won't be able to keep pace of and won't get us anywhere anyway but that's where most of us are on this the kind of a a mindset so um you know it's a good book for anyone whatever age you are for me i did feel that i'm getting close to this midlife or i am in midlife and so maybe there's another reason i was drawn to it is some of the thoughts i have for myself and uh, reading those parts about the decline He talks about how much we resist that, or, uh, you know, we often read things and we think, well, other people might go through that, but not me, I'm not going to experience that. But then, um, we have to be realistic and realize we're human beings. And so if humans go through something, uh, it's going to happen to you too. So I did realize I had this sense of, wait, is that going to be me soon? Or what point will that happen? Or maybe it's already happened to some degree. And it's something, um, to be realistic about. Also, he talks about being realistic about our own death and how recognizing that and maybe have noticed that theme the last few years i've talked about it much more because i realized how significant it is that if we don't take our death seriously we don't take our life seriously there is this way that we avoid thinking about our death because it's uncomfortable but because of that we avoid living our life more fully or we avoid recognizing the tangible or the mortality that we will face that means that we won't always have time to do it later Uh, there is a sense that i can always do it later i'll start a business at this time write my book at this time oh it's not the right time and part of that fiction that we sell to ourselves is that i'll always have time later but if we take our death more seriously we recognize that we won't always have forever to write something do something whatever it is repair our relationships we have to do it now and so this book he mentioned that as well that we have to face that death quite seriously not as a negative scary thing but as a recognition of actually the value of life i also think don't think you value your life enough if you don't actually value the reality of your death enough so um on that somber note but it doesn't have to be somber i hope it encourages all of us to take our lives more seriously Um, I did enjoy this book and he writes in a very clear way, which makes it easy to read. And there's wisdom in this book. Even he shares he himself, I think, around his 60s, um, moving towards that and what it's been like. He doesn't want to just give advice. He's practicing it as well, but shares how he even left the job he had at a very uh, high level think tank, uh, which was kind of like a dream type of job for many people. He left that even while he was still doing it well to take some of this advice more seriously and he shares the story of this man on a plane he doesn't reveal who it is he says he was on a flight and the person behind him was talking with his wife and seemed unhappy and even almost like not having the will to live or feeling like his life was worth living but then when they were getting off the plane many people recognized him because he was famous and so is this wake-up call of like even though you might achieve what people think would make you happy and feel good about yourself what well, we often see is people don't have that feeling. And he shares stories of different individuals throughout history, from Charles Darwin to others, who we think would be happy with the success they achieved, but necessarily weren't. Uh, so highly recommend the book. And in the next segment, I'm going to continue on some themes related to the book, specifically about legacy and how we can be fixated on that and some of my thoughts on, on that topic. But uh, the book was From Strength to Strength by Arthur C. Brooks. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, As I mentioned before the break, I wanted to continue uh, on a theme related to From Strength to Strength by Arthur C. Brooks, and one he actually talks about about how we are remembered or who gets remembered in history or our legacy and how um, we could focus on that. And he shared some some thoughts about how even what we see is that most people don't get remembered almost no one does If we go even a hundred years back and then if you go thousands of years back um, so even if we try to be remembered or stay in public uh, opinion or public knowledge you probably won't be and so in some ways it's presented often that because of that what's the point of focusing on that but to me it's even a step beyond that that we shouldn't even care if we are Remembered or not, or to focus on that legacy, it to me is misplacing where we should focus. So, to me, we should focus on our impact, not our legacy. Our impact, not our legacy. And they're very much going to be correlated. So, people who we remember, um, of course, history can do lots of things. The ways we remember things might not be so accurate either, but let's just say there is a correlation there that they had some kind of a positive impact. I mean, that's why we at times go back and revisit history and people don't like it because we maybe have made heroes out of people and idols out of people to then say, well, maybe they weren't all good um, in some ways. And I have issues with this to begin with the ways we can venerate people and make them into gods Um, in the past. Even it could be more harmful in the present where we put people on a certain pedestal and think that they are all knowing or all right or all good it gets us into trouble but even historically it does as well but to me that shouldn't be what we want to focus on or should focus on because we're misunderstanding the situation because we can only imagine what we currently feel so when we think of some future time or even a past time we experience it as ourselves now or we imagine it so if i imagine how i'm remembered in a hundred years Of course, I initially just as a reaction back, oh, I'd like it to be positive or favorable, or oh, that'd be great if I did something so meaningful that people would remember. And so I think of that feeling of being remembered as good, but I'm not gonna be there to feel it, to experience that if I'm being talked about in a good or a bad way or not at all. I won't be there to feel it, but because I'm trying to imagine it, I can only imagine it as myself experiencing it. It's similar to what people might do when they think oh what if i die and it's nothingness and instead of actually the nothingness that really conceptually they're saying which is i wouldn't feel anything they feel that sense of a darkness or an emptiness of being in some many people even imagine a black space like it's almost like you're in outer space so you die and you're in this like nothingness but when we talk about nothingness we mean actually nothing something you can't imagine you can't imagine not feeling it's kind of like when you're asleep, you can't really know what it's like when you were asleep and then you wake up, of course, the unconscious and the brain is still processing things, but in a conscious way, you don't have any recollection or experience of that. So we think of dying and think that sounds scary, but it's because we're imagining ourselves feeling the thing happening after we no longer exist, which we can't feel anything. So to me, it's the same thing with, with legacy. It's like, you know, I could think of what song I enjoy to hear. But if I'm not around, you know, we don't have to even think about death. So I might like a certain song, but if I'm not in the room and people are hearing a song, of course, I might think, oh, they'll like the song. They should listen to the one I like, but I would want them to listen to the song they like. What I feel wouldn't matter there, what I enjoy. So to me, the legacy feels actually the same way. Um, And to me, we want to focus on our impact. Am I helping people? Am I doing things that I value rather than am I going to be remembered a certain way? Will they say my name? Will they, um, you know, write about me in history books? That to me should not be the focus at all. We want to focus on what we do and the values that drive that rather than who will remember me or how will they remember me, Um, especially because I think it does a few things. One is not that we shouldn't want to do great things. I think most of us hold ourselves back from taking risks, trying things that, would have a positive impact or a bigger positive impact. So that I would want to be encouraged, but we can be more preoccupied with doing things that get remembered rather than doing things that are more valuable, more meaningful, and more our responsibility. So if I'm fixated on my legacy. Rather than spending time with my loved ones, or let's say as a parent taking care of your children, you might be focused on doing something that is in the public sphere or that could be remembered in some way. And so you'd neglect your responsibilities and the actual positive impact that is yours to make and focus on something more grand and lofty because of probably attention you'd want to get now, but also being remembered in some way look at these great you know scientists or people in history I want to be like that where they're still talking about me hundreds of years later but again you're doing this misperception of imagining you feeling it now you won't be here so you might neglect uh, someone around you that you need to take care of because you're thinking of this big dream and big goal of being remembered and I think that's really problematic another way I think it could impact what you do is that we can be so preoccupied with getting credit for things or having our name on things we look at theories scientific psychological and often has someone's name you know this person is the creator of this theory or even their name is in the theory or named after them and we think oh that's so great I want to get the credit Um, and I think this is often a very western and sometimes patriarchal kind of mindset of things of who gets the credit who owns the idea who made it Um, and it's not to discourage or say that people don't make great contributions and we should not be looking at how people are coming up with new things being creative all of that is very important but there is a way of seeing it as all belonging to someone this person created this theory or created this idea and i think that itself is Usually not accurate, any kind of theory is based on the work of all the people that came before and many people usually working on that field, on that question at a given time. Um, But rarely is it just one person that's doing something, but we have that type of mindset. And I think unfortunately, if you're working to do good, the good should be the goal, not if I'm remembered for the good. Are they going to think I came up with the vaccine or you? Are they going to think that I came up with this mathematical theory or three of us together? And it might even discourage collaboration and discourage um, the encouragement of others because we want the credit because we're thinking about this future goal. Again, it's partially to get the credit, or maybe a lot of it is about getting the credit, the fame, the money now. But I think we also get um, intoxicated with this sense that we're going to be remembered and that has value when to me that's not something we should think about it makes sense that we feel it if i tell you in 500 years how how would you like it if there was a statue of you that sounds cool that sounds nice um, but you won't be there to feel that good or that nice and so to me it's more important to focus on what you do and so that requires us to focus on the values and the good that we are doing rather than the external how it is seen or the credit that we get. If you give a lot of love to your child, that will have a huge impact in the world. It might not be remembered in any way unless your child writes about it or, you know, becomes famous themselves and talks about it, let's say, but does that matter that they're going to remember you? So um, I do think we, sometimes can get preoccupied. It's a question they, they ask a lot of famous people. How would you like to be remembered? And it's understandable. And I think the question has, validity in that it gets us to see what the person wants to be seen as or we get something out of it. So in that way, it can be an interesting interview question. But I also think it's the wrong question because it puts again this focus on how we are remembered being the thing that drives us. Um, now on another side, there's I think it's, it's David Brooks, uh, he mentions it in this book, Arthur Brooks, they're not related, he says, um, talking about resume qualities or characteristics versus eulogy qualities and so the resume qualities are like you know your professional status how much money you have those things which people might care about and put too much focus on And he says we should focus on the eulogy which is the eulogy characters are what are people going to talk about at your funeral okay that this person was very kind or loving or very responsible very loyal those are the qualities we should strive towards and I very much agree with that and that type of an An impact or that type of a eulogy legacy tends to mean that you're doing the right thing so I think that uh, I can agree with but I I do really find this um, notion of focusing on our legacy we're missing the point a bit or missing what it's going to be like so there is a connection there there there's a correlation if you have a positive impact it likely gets remembered but when you see yourself going towards that it can be good to remember that's not the thing that matters I want to make a positive impact. I want to make sure I'm meeting my responsibilities rather than focusing on how it's being seen by other people. So we can also see this as um, a kind of magnification of how we tend to be so preoccupied with how people see us. And that could be a problem because it gets in the way of what we might do. Here we're taking it, it's magnifying in the sense that it's not just people presently, it's people in the future. How will people see me in the future and because of that i might affect what i do or i don't do now um so we want to do the right thing because it's the right thing we want to do the right thing because it's going to be good to the world and the people around us but we want to make sure we don't get focused or preoccupied with how will i be remembered how will people see me down the line because you won't be here to feel it so you don't have to worry about if no one remembers you but your impact will continue to ripple the love you give To the people around you will impact how they are in the world the decisions they make and how they live their lives that is something very meaningful you know i I sometimes think of it in this way it's like you're singing a song that you sing to your children and you will be gone but they continue to sing that song so the song survives that hopefully beautiful melody will survive and will affect them you won't be here so and it doesn't matter it's your song or what it is but it's the fact that that song if it's beautiful will will impact them and then they will share it continually or you can think of it as lighting a candle Uh, many different types of analogies that have this sense of you're sharing something that even if you're not there the impact continues but it doesn't matter even if you remember or if they know what it is but that legacy of the impact will remain even if the legacy of your name has disappeared All right, let's go to another commercial break we'll be right back Welcome back, let's go to a caller Radio hambra you're on the air
0: Hi Dr. Holakui. thank you for taking my call
1: Sure, thanks for calling
0: I have a question about the work situation that I'm okay. dealing with right now mm-hmm. I really like what I do And I'm hoping to stay here And i like to maintain a healthy, productive work environment for myself It's been almost six months that I'm working here I'm giving you three incidents that um, caused me some issues, and then I'll um, let you ask me questions if you have, or you can interrupt me. Okay, go ahead. First thing is um, that we, from a spot that I had at my work, only by myself, we moved to a different spot at work to sit close, and um, a colleague that I heard, she complained that someone else, a guy from a different unit came and touched her back or something. So They told us to sit closer and make that area full. Since they I s- came, sa- I, sorry,
1: they said to sit closer because that had happened.
0: Um, manager didn't tell us, but we knew this is the reason we are moving because there was no other reason that we had to move. That she was sitting by herself, and then they moved us close to her.
1: Oh, so people wouldn't be like isolated, kind of. Exactly. Okay,
0: but that's no, not. Like so it wasn't. Was okay,
1: it so it wasn't clearly stated, but that's from your understanding of what's going on. Okay.
0: Exactly, yes, yeah. it can be wrong. And so the first thing that happened one day when we were working overtime, me, my other colleague, and her were doing overtime. She wasn't working. Another guy who is a supervisor from a different unit was coming downstairs, talking to her, and while me and my colleague working, we noticed a very inappropriate um, um, situation were happening right behind our back. So that forced me and my other colleague just to keep focusing on the screen, avoiding everything that is happening at the back.
1: Can you, I mean, I, I, it seems like it's not easy to talk about, but can you say what it was just so I get a sense of?
0: Yes, so it? she, the girl that was sitting beside us, she took off her jacket and she was sitting there with a very um, see-through top. That wasn't appropriate for work, it was only overtime because no one was working and we were working late. So if she was sitting like there, at the middle of the room, no one would notice because no one was working at the time.
1: Okay. So that was, so she was, she revealed, she took off her jacket, and you're saying her top was see through or revealing. Okay. That, and right. that was, so and you didn't want to.
0: The manager who, now we know he's a manager because you we were new, we didn't know. She's also new, but maybe two months older than us. That manager was also sitting, so he was staring and they had a conversation. Okay. So we turn and we saw that thing. That we were sitting very close, and we suddenly turn back and we continue our work, okay. pretending that nothing happened. That was one thing. Next day, then my supervisor asked me, "Oh, you are working late. How come?" I wanted to say something, but I thought it would be a big trouble for me. I don't want to go through the conversations, all the things. So I just avoided for a couple of weeks.
1: Which I'm, I missed that what he asked you, you worked late.
0: Because we were done at like 4, but we were working till 9 eight, nine p.m. And if we were really working hard, we could have finished that job in like 3 hours. So she was surprised, how come we stayed like 5 hours, all of us? Yeah. Because that person that was supposed to work, she wasn't working.
1: So that was what you didn't want to say, was that someone wasn't doing their work?
0: Exactly. Okay. And then what was happening, because we were supposed to work not having a conversation or chatting with guys or flirting, all those things. Mm-hmm. So I let that go and I called the support line that we have and they told me you can talk to each or you can just write notes for yourself. That's what I did for a couple of weeks. Okay. Then um, second thing happened because uh, as she doesn't work that often that she's supposed to, we are dealing with many um, travel documents. We are working for law enforcement uh, government agency. So we have travel documents, um, IDs, everything and I noticed that she has a pile of 20 envelopes full of these documents, behind a pile of uh, files. And it it was there for like a month at least. I could have avoided that, but I decided to let my manager know that because there are many times that people are searching for these files and no one knew where they are. There is no tag, no RFID attached to these specific IDs. I told her FYI, please don't mention, my, don't mention my name, but I noticed that this file is hiding on her desk for more than a month. We can process them gradually. Next day, she said, thank you, and then they came and they got the document and we processed them, nothing. So these two, so far, nothing related to me. The last thing that happened, that she has this ongoing people coming, visiting her from different units, um, mostly guys talking non-stop. So I have to have my headphone on day to avoid the conversations in or, in order to be able to work. One day I decided just to go out to my manager and told them that I need to have a better space because I can't work. and I'm working um, exceptionally well at that unit so I earned that trust that if I'm saying something it means that I really need help. And she told me next week uh, someone leaves so you can move to the other section. Wonderful. Today, I noticed that that girl understood. Some someone somehow told her what happened, or like that. I told my manager I need to move. And when I left my desk and I came back, I noticed that my headphone is broken. And they have started doing things that made the work environment very uncomfortable, stressful, all those things. Like what? So I decided.
1: I mean, that's itself is um, uncomfortable. If you although I mean, are there cameras in the office or no? No. Okay. Um, by broken what do you mean like ripped my headset.
0: i i left it on my desk to go grab a file when i came back headset was broken so i couldn't put it on it was hanging
1: and this is your own personal one or a work headset
0: my own personal one okay they came surprised they told me oh it was broken i pretended that nothing happened i said it was like three years that's
1: okay I can get a new one one by uh, the way, one thing I'll say and I know it's easier said than done but a few times you've avoided bringing up something or saying something was okay when it wasn't you know so it's it's like I said easier said than done but the you know even before where oh why did you work from four to nine and you avoided your manager's question even that can make you look bad in some way that it seems like you were wasting time or you were but nonetheless, so. Um, exactly. Yeah, but anyway, so what else did they do though? You said doing other things that made the work environment uncomfortable.
0: Sherwin, sure, what is the reason that you're working so hard and uh, you never complain about your work? How come you're always searching, you're helping? Are you trying to be a manager? I said, no, because I have goals. And they said, what is your goal? I said, it is my overtime right now. We can discuss this later.
1: Who's they, the by the way, thing, when you say they?
0: She and her friends.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: And. I was thinking I need to come to a conclusion for myself because Mm -hmm. I love what I do and I want to stay at what I do. And it is coming to having morals like things that it is a law. um, Like the things that we do, it is really important that we do it properly Mm -hmm. to me. At the same time, when I raise that concern, the situation becomes uncomfortable for me again end of the day. So I'm thinking of just tolerate it, or raise it, and I understand that I create my own environment by the way I react, by the way I speak, and I want to get some good advice on what to do.
1: Yeah. Well, which is true, of course, we do create, to a degree, I mean, you know, we have uh, a big influence on how we feel, how we experience things, but there's also things that we have to recognize affect us, and we can't ignore that point. So, I guess from what you're saying is that when you bring up the issues, you feel like there's other consequences somehow she finds out exactly and then it gets you know you you get that okay um, yeah I mean it's hard to know what what else you could say to your manager to HR some of the things you don't know for sure like the headphone you could say for sure. example it got broken that makes it hard also to then make a complaint exactly. because if you say you know she you can't say she broke it or you could say it it's hard to know um, it seems like you're pretty clear on that other than these interactions you've mentioned, what's your relationship or interactions like with her?
0: Um, I, can, I can say it this way. I work really hard,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And she, I saw it with other colleagues that if you do something to her, she's really mean at getting revenge and makes you uh, pay the price for it. So I had a colleague that, because... She did so many things. She complained that her plans bring allergy, she, all the negative things that she could and that person is leaving us right now because she couldn't handle it. To me, because I work very well, um, I kind of have a good reputation with most of the team so they know if I say something, it's not that I don't want to work, I really want to find a way to work better. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that if I say something, I have to face the consequences and You were talking about wisdom experiences Mm -hmm. and I can relate to that because the experiences I had in the past helped me to just navigate the system better now. But then when it comes to human interactions, these little things like she she is 21, 22, I'm 35. Um, There's a huge gap. Mm -hmm. But putting that headphone on my head whole day doesn't make the situation better and I want to know what is the way to, to the light. Yeah. Sometimes I feel is like just being quiet, and then I'm to the level that I cannot tolerate
1: it anymore. Yeah, I mean that's it's hard because I know it's easy to say say something every time, but I do also want to look at what's your personal tendency. You know, how do you see yourself? Is do you feel like you avoid conflict in general, or you don't, or do you feel like you hold in your feelings in general? Tell me about that a bit. Both of those things from conflict. How you know? No one loves conflict, but some people avoid it more. And when it comes to just sharing what we're feeling, some people have an easier or harder time. How are you on those things?
0: I learned that if the conversation is with the intention that future is better than what I have now, it's worse to go through that conflict. Overall, I would rather have a peaceful environment. But if I see something is wrong, I have to raise my voice. Mm-hmm. I have to raise my concern. That's what I did with the password. But I was thinking... Now today, would I go back and do the same? This is what I'm not sure.
1: Hmm. Yeah, but so do you feel like you know conflict in your life in general is even outside of work? Is it something you avoid or something you're comfortable with? Avoid. You avoid. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's you know another thing about this this colleague now. It seems like there's things she does that are really bothersome, but she's very outspoken too and in a way gets, you're saying in a way it gets her way or gets things and so I think that's hard for you because you're right, more on yeah, the other exactly. end. Yeah. yeah, You're more the other way. Like you're saying I don't want to you know, almost seem like you didn't want her to get her in trouble so you said oh it was you know, you didn't answer your your manager that time or um, you know, trying to make sure she things are more peaceful. I wasn't, but
0: worried. To okay? I wasn't worried about her. I knew what she would do when yeah. she knows. Like, what she did
1: today. I, I got it. Okay, so the retaliation was yeah and so in a way you feel however much it's really a threat but you feel this threat from her that you you don't feel like you can challenge her because she might respond in a certain way or get her way
0: um um may i interrupt yes of course the reason that i do not like to challenge her more because i want to stay here working I understand from the conversations that their intention is finding a partner in life, so they have to have all these ongoing conversations, talking, all the things that they do. That is not my intention at work. Mm-hmm. so it's like different generation wisdom again. To me, that stage is done to them is at the beginning. I understand that. But, sorry No, that's,
1: that's okay. Fine. yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean you might want different things out of work or your work experience. Um, well, tell me how are you know, just to move away a bit for a moment how are things in your life in general outside of work
0: um, to me everything is all right I have a good husband okay. we have good relationship uh, he works hard I do work hard the um, our plan is just to help each other to get our dreams come true
1: okay and what are those dreams
0: um, I want to be able to be at the level of possibility financially free Mm-hmm. I didn't even think that I would find a job that I love. Now I love my job, so I don't mind many more hours at work. Uh, my husband loves his job too. The things he does right now, he it was his dream to get his own thing uh, going. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of, the, at the end, we're hoping to have more free time to do charity work, travel the world, support people, those type of things.
1: Okay. Um, good. I'm glad you feel good about life outside of work and you like your work now you're just having this issue with this colleague uh and by the way you mentioned you would be switching your desk or moving is that still going to happen
0: hopefully by next week yes
1: okay so that hopefully will make better i mean do you actually actually work with this person directly or no
0: we are in the same team
1: you're on the same team so you have to work with her regularly
0: that is true okay yes and her friends in different units yeah
1: okay so you know um It is something, you like you said, you want to work at this place, but, and we don't want it to be like she pushes you out, and I don't think it's there yet. But I don't want you to neglect how you're feeling here and, you know, to go to this place of, I'm just going to withstand whatever she does and stay here because you might be the one that pays the price. So, um, of course, she seems very involved in a way, but at the end of the day, whatever decision you make, it's about you and you alone. Because sometimes in these situations, it can feel like, Now it's you against her, and then let's say if you, I'm not saying yet, decide to leave your job, it's almost like she won, but if you're unhappy somewhere, staying there just because you don't want to let them win in your mind, you're just hurting yourself at the end, you know, so I think it's good for you to see how can you make it work there because I don't think you're at the point where you need to leave at all, Um, but I really don't want you to lose sight of your feelings or the sense that it's not that you can make it you have to make it work no matter what because also that's part of being conflict avoidant at times is we think that i can always withstand whatever's going on but um you know the way we present it is that you're avoiding a war outside by creating a war inside you know within yourself and and so i don't want you to to go to work and if every day you're stressed or angry or you know you don't tell anyone but you're mad inside i don't want that to be your victory you know like i didn't say anything or I, i kept it inside again if you're not feeling good internally so We'll have to see what you can do. And I think you were saying, trying to look for some strategies and we can, we can look at that. So we're at a commercial break, but I want to continue our conversation. We can try to look at what you can do. You know, also another thing is probably this, this colleague, uh, she is doing things that are understandably frustrating. I also want you to look at, does she bring up anything for you? Remind you of something, remind you of someone or make you feel certain things about yourself or, you know, it just usually people they're a mirror for us in some way so it doesn't mean again what she's doing is okay but at times it can give us a perspective on ourselves that we wouldn't have seen until we experienced a certain type of interaction so let's go to commercial break and then we'll pick up on some of those themes after okay sounds good all right we'll be right back welcome back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to them now caller are you still there yes i am okay so um you're sharing about your work experience and that you really like your job but you are having issues particularly with one colleague uh, who you don't like some of the things that she does in general but then has also been personally towards you done a few things that have left you upset or actually let me not put those words in your mouth how are you feeling about her and the situation right now um
0: upset would be the right word also disappointed
1: disappointed in
0: now that you mentioned by uh, by avoiding to have that conversation with um, with my manager or supervisors, I let her mm. maybe be more strong in what she was doing wrong, mm. but then I didn't know how to protect myself in a situation that happens like today when it comes to people surrounding me asking me questions mm. while I know it is a game, but how just to protect my mental health from not getting not getting distracted. Mm -hmm. Um, anxious and just be comfortable so if I look at it from a different perspective I'm in a position of power I did something to myself right and I shouldn't have um, any concern right now for even having this conversation but it is not that so I'm thinking um, Hmm. um, that's why I'm thinking I'm disappointed
1: Okay. Yeah. It, it, these things are, you know, after the fact, it can be always easy to say, I should have said this. I did wish I did this. And we can also do that not to blame ourselves, but to try to think of if you find yourself there again, because as you said, you felt like it was a game or they were uh, teasing you. And this is a common work type of uh, uh, experience where, of course, your colleagues, but you're also competition. There's also a sense that, um, you know people like to say oh you shouldn't be trying to work hard if you're working hard you're kissing up or you're trying to like you know you know there's a sense of like putting down the person who's working hard rather than you know being praised or because it makes them not look as good it also just you know affects things of how they're going to be seen so yeah it seems like she was coming at you to try to put you down the way you describe it it felt like almost like a you know high school bullying type of a feeling i don't know if that's how you felt Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that's obviously not a good feeling. Um, if you could have gone back, what do you think you, if you would have said or did anything different, what would you have done or said differently?
0: I would have asked them a the question,
1: that why do they ask? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's ways that I think you can stand up for yourself. Um, and as I was saying before the break, where people can be like a mirror for us, uh, it could be in lots of ways, including it might require of us to do something that's out of our comfort zone, but that might lead to our growth. So I don't think it's fair for them to treat you poorly in any way, uh, but we can't wait for them to change if they're doing that or she's doing that. All you can do is say, okay, how do I want to respond to that? And so this could be a, a good opportunity, one you didn't wish you had, but it's in front of you now, to challenge yourself to be more Uh, assertive and less conflict avoidant whether it's with her directly or even with your managers and um, you know I would want you to be assertive and to stand up for yourself take care of yourself and then if things don't work out if you have to leave at whatever point again I, I know I mentioned that a few times not to say it's close but if that ever does happen that you feel like you did everything you could and you you did it right but things unfortunately don't always work out that's just you know how it is so um one one of the things i'm sensing from you is that one of the ways you make things work often is by avoiding the conflict and letting you know you, you can survive it but i would encourage you to to move away from that type of a strategy or you know automatic strategy usually comes very unconsciously towards something that is more assertive where you take care of yourself because some of that disappointment i think could be towards yourself as you were saying that okay i don't They're being them and I don't think it's right let me see how I respond and I want to feel good about what I do whatever the result sometimes we're assertive and we don't even get a good result but at least we feel like we we stood up for ourselves and we're true to ourselves
0: Uh, I believe what I don't know is uh, how to be assertive Uh what are the examples of those things that we do and then we will call it a assertive.
1: Sure. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And, and even as concepts there, they're always going to be vague. It's it's on a spectrum. So on one side, we have passive, which is, you know, not disagreeing, not complaining, not saying anything that might lead to conflict, being very agreeable and just letting things happen makes sense. Passive. And on the other extreme is aggressive, where we will be forceful, might even use aggression um, to get our way. And sometimes she's showing more of that aggressive side. And then in between is the healthier spot of being assertive, which means that um, I'm not gonna just passively accept whatever you do, I will stand up for myself. I also won't disrespect you or try to um, force you to do something, but I will state my own feelings, my own needs, where I'm coming from clearly, and I won't hold those back. So that's kind of the principle or the types of principles I'd want you to think about is, What are my feelings, my wants, my needs? What would I like to do based on that and make sure I'm doing it and not go to what seems to be your comfort zone, which is to avoid saying something or doing something. Thank you.
0: And I believe that would be my last question.
1: That, that's okay. Uh, how did that just so you said I don't know if I heard you say thank you I couldn't hear but let me know what did that sound like to you or what is that even my my guess would taking
0: be notes, so, Oh okay.
1: <laughs> no no problem. I thought I was having such a deep impact that you you were speechless. But um but yeah, I think it's good but to That th- is true. <laughs> no, but it's good to think about how that will feel for you because as I said, for most people being assertive if they're not used to it at all, which is I think a lot of Iranians we, we do unfortunately encourage a kind of a passiveness a lot of times you know even tarof and some things that we have in our culture are very much about just being agreeable being pleasant not adding to anyone's burden and then we get reinforced for it that oh it's so good that you're so easy and so good and you know all I'm those things
0: i believe what i the reason that i avoid it is um, i don't know what is appropriate at work so if i yeah. if by me being assertive make um, the other person cry, is that a bad situation for work? Because you you notice that no one wants the hassle of these conversations, even when you sure. talk to managers, they would rather not hear those conversations. Yeah. So, how can I be assertive and not be an issue?
1: Well, that's a good, you know, you bring up a good point that um, and I even said Iranian culture, but it's not just Iranian culture. In general, we are conflict avoidant as people because we avoid things that don't feel good and conflict doesn't feel good. And so most people, even the managers who are supposed to, you know, literally manage, it's in their title, but these types of things and manage the people, they want to avoid the conflict or even HR sometimes will avoid these things because yeah. they don't know and they you know so it, it's it's not and as i say any of these things to you i'm going to encourage things that i think are good knowing that they are difficult and also uh, difficult to do and and difficult to really know what yeah what does that mean it's easy for me to tell you to be assertive but what does that look like in the moment how do you respond and so i get that that is challenging to me the most important thing is being in touch with yourself and what you're feeling and then responding how you feel, you know, feels good. Um, but going back to what you're saying, you know, make, we don't want to make someone cry in the sense that intentionally we say something to make them cry. But when we're being uh, not conflict-avoidant, when we're accepting conflict if it arises, it does mean we are also accepting that it could include uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable feelings, even uncomfortable reactions. You know, so you, if, if someone says, "Hey, I want to do this," and you don't like it, and you just say, "Okay." It's peaceful, and if you say I don't like that, they could react in a way, and that's what we're avoiding when we avoid conflict. Is we're a little bit afraid of also how they might react. That makes us anxious. What if they explode? And then also uh, we haven't gotten into it yet, but your own experiences from childhood of conflict, which often, you know, we have some uncomfortable and painful conflicts from childhood that we witness that make us afraid of it that people might be unpredictable so uh, as i'm asking that if you don't mind tell me a bit about that with your own family your own childhood what, what do you what comes up for you related to conflict and people's reactions
0: um i, I am the youngest so mm-hmm. i believe that i saw what was happening when you raise a concern when the situation is not as easy as you expect it to be. And then I I remember that I made those decisions in my head while I was seeing things happening in front of me. Hmm. I don't have an exact moment to tell, but I remember uh, seeing things that happened between my sisters or my mom, or when they were getting married and all the conflicts. So your father sometimes mentioned that decisions that we make when we're little, sometimes mostly they last for your whole life. Mm -hmm. I remember that because I saw things and I decided that I will not do that again for the rest of my life and I'm still on those yeah. that I gave to myself.
1: It is really, yeah, it's 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 sad but it's also, it makes sense. We We make decisions yeah. based on an environment that it makes sense to survive that environment but unfortunately then we can be away from that environment, we still use that strategy. I sometimes think of if you grew up in a home with a lot of smoke, you learned to crawl around on the ground because it was not safe to breathe, but now you're out in the open and you're still crawling because it didn't feel safe to stand up straight. So um, you probably saw, yeah, how conflict is. And when you're the youngest, one, you're witnessing, like you said, but two, you're the littlest. So when people are fighting or arguing, it's even scarier for you when you're, you're smaller. And so it could feel terrifying. And like you said, you probably learned this is scary. I don't like this. I never want to feel this way or I never want to add to, you know, something to make this happen. And yeah, you've internalized that. And and in a lot of ways, you know, it quote unquote works probably in a lot of situations and it got you through a lot of situations. But then here, when you're faced with someone who is being a bit unreasonable or has, you know, being a bit mean to you, it puts you in a tough spot because it's like either I have to swallow it and that doesn't feel good or i have to get uncomfortable and then voice my opinion what i'm feeling and also because like you're saying you're not sure what to do part of that is one it's not clear but two you don't have a lot of experience with creating these kinds of situations because you've learned not to so then it could feel even scarier It's like well what if i overdo it what if i don't know what like you're asking me what is the right way and you'll have to risk doing it without knowing if it's exactly right, because there isn't some clear recipe where I can say, always say this or however they respond, you respond 80% or, you know, there's not some fixed type of ratio to, to make you know exactly what to say or what, what you um, should say. And sometimes it'll lead to conflict, which won't feel good. And even that result might not be good. So it's not that, you know, and we're assertive. Every interaction goes pleasantly and smoothly. Sometimes it goes bad. Um, but we have to just risk that If we're going to be real to ourself We have to see then what the result is So, uh, you know, like I said This individual it's, it, it can sound strange for them to be a teacher When we, you, you know, you're upset with her Or you see her in a way that you uh, Don't like her But it might push you into a discomfort That might force you to either Grow or to go back even further In a way that will make you more angry And I will encourage you As much as you like your job not that the goal is to lose your job, obviously, but that we want you to continue liking your job and to not get so attached to it that you feel like I shouldn't say anything because I might lose this. And actually, that speaking really on important. that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but um, speaking on that, that's usually what conflict avoidance boils down to is this fear of losing relationships in a way. That's the the... the The main fear underneath it is that if I create the conflict, the person goes, or there's a fight and they leave, or they don't like me or love me. And so at the core of fear of conflict is this fear of abandonment, fear of loss. So you could have this feeling that either I have to swallow it and I can keep my job, or if I say something, I lose my job, so I'll just swallow it and keep my job, you know?
0: I see. I believe that I got my answer, okay. and the help you gave me is beyond my expectations. Thank you. Well,
1: I appreciate you saying that, but I also know that um, the answer is 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 important. Some of it you probably already knew before we even spoke, but the implementation of it's going to be hard, and I I want you to be ready for. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be challenging. You're going to get it wrong. It's going to be a whole, whole bunch of things. And just because you, you know, let's say you bring it up one time and it doesn't go well, I hope you won't then conclude, see, I should have just not said anything. It was better that way um, to move towards this of being more assertive in all your relationships, even in your marriage, in your friendships. It's not to create conflict because we like conflict. It's to um, be genuine and authentic, which means that sometimes we might say something the other person doesn't like but that's what a a real relationship looks like and being real to yourself looks like. So best of luck and and I appreciate you calling. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Let's go into another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back with the last caller. um, A few themes were coming up there at the end that I wanted to continue the discussion on related to avoiding conflict being assertive and these are challenging topics for many of us myself included that require lots of effort to make changes in. Um, but I want to talk about also looking at where they come from or how we get there. One to try to see how you can unlearn it, but also especially as parents what you can do to help your children not to develop this this fear of conflict or conflict avoidance so to begin with like why would we avoid conflict well because it doesn't feel good and so we always have this tendency or this challenge as human beings to go into things that don't feel good but that can be good for us and not avoiding those things to go to what feels better in the moment so sometimes it's going into something uncomfortable that we avoid or sometimes it's that we do something that feels good in the moment but hurts us in the long run that we wish we didn't do. Like, let's say, eating something that isn't healthy for you. There's always a pull to that because in the moment it feels better than avoiding it. Or if you're going to have a conflict, it always feels better in the moment to avoid the conflict. Let's say, you know, I work with a lot of couples and it's like, oh, you know, we were enjoying watching TV and then my partner brought up something. And so it's always easier to just keep watching the show, but it can cost us in the long term. So, We understand we don't like the feeling so when that's the case it always takes some effort also some reminding that we need to do these things to keep us on track that's why people look at fitness videos or working out to remind them or encourage them to keep working out they know it's good for them but always in the moment it can be harder to do the thing that doesn't feel as good that gives you a longer term beneficial result so by default we don't like conflict. It's not something that feels good. If you actually really like conflict, that itself might be problematic. If you want to fight, that could be coming more from kind of some kind of anger or an antisocial tendency, not a sign of health. What we're talking about is to not avoid the necessary conflicts, to not avoid something because it might lead to conflict, to be accepting of conflict. So there's conflict avoidance on one side, there's conflict creation on the other side. And trying to create conflicts, but then there's conflict acceptance that to me would be the healthier medium. So as I asked the caller, if we look back at what conflict looked like in our house, and it doesn't just have to mean arguments, it could be that, but it could be a lot of other things where there's tension or disagreement, how was how that dealt with? How comfortable were your parents? if you disagreed, or if they disagreed with each other, or if there was a disagreement in the house, or feelings that didn't feel good. That might not seem like conflict, but it's something that makes us feel bad. And so if we don't like that feeling, or if your parents would say, when you got sad, reacted negatively, that could seem to give you this message that we don't feel that this way, or don't feel in a way that would make me feel bad. Hold in your feelings. So. Conflict doesn't just mean fights. It means doing anything that might make the other person or persons not feel good or fear that they might not feel good. That could be a conflict. So, this is why it's so important as well. First, uh, as I was continuing that, reflect on it yourself. What was conflict like in my house? Um, Was there a lot happening? Was it not a lot? Was it really scary? That's a big thing. And as I mentioned to the caller, Sometimes as adults we can forget how scary it can feel for a little kid. You might think, "Oh, we're just having a disagreement and our voices go up a bit," but to a kid it can be very, very scary to hear their parents what feels like yelling or what feels like they're really mad at each other, that can be very scary. So, what was that like for you? How common was it? How comfortable were your parents? How scary was it? How much was it acceptable? And that's something I'll get into all those types of things and Most people I work with, most families, we don't do a great job of this, of having healthy conflict, of modeling that it can actually be a okay and even a good thing in a relationship of demonstrating that it's nothing to be afraid of because we handle in ways that aren't scary and we don't avoid them, but we haven't had that happen in most families. So you could do kind of like a conflict inventory to get a sense of where am I on the scale of conflict avoidance to conflict acceptance even going into conflict which could be its own reaction to so much conflict in the home that you then take on that persona it's almost like you're always ready for a fight because you know the fight might be coming so you take the fight to people or you know that you can or you think you can overpower them so you'd rather make fights and conflicts because you feel like that's actually more your comfort zone as strange as it might sound but so as a parent how how should we try to approach this concept so We know that bad fights are bad. If you have yelling and violence and aggression in the home, this is a bad thing. There's no way around that. It's like a a toxin. It's not going to, it has to affect your kids. So as we often do, and we see that something is bad at an extreme, we think the healthy thing is to go to the other extreme. So many of us think, oh, we shouldn't have bad conflicts. And so we go to the other extreme of we should never have conflict. No one's ever going to disagree. No one's going to get mad at each other. No one's going to be upset with anyone. Everything is always good and okay. And it seems like this is the healthy response to not having conflict, but really it's an unhealthy reaction that conflict is bad. Let's go to the other extreme. If it's not good for it to be cold in our house, we make it too hot. That's not what we need. You need to make it warm, a nice temperature. And similarly, we have to not have bad conflict Um, But we shouldn't go to the other extreme of never having conflict. We want to have healthy conflict or show that it's okay to disagree. Um, And so as parents, especially, you can show that even you and, you know, mother, father, the two uh, two parents, they can disagree about something. Oh, this is how I feel. Let's talk about it. And actually even show your kids that we can talk about it and come to some conclusion that is okay. Even, you know, you can make, not a completely fake uh, argument or discussion, but show them, maybe even stage it in some way just to give them that sense that it's okay to disagree and look, things go okay. Or if they disagree with you, how you respond is so important. So if you're so focused on obedience and if I say something, you have to listen to me and don't you ever challenge me. And that's how some people think of authority, that if an authority says something, you should never question and just do it without you know questioning or having anything to say and smile and and do what's asked of you and so there can be something of having authority and having some sense of boundaries and things that the parents set but to me to make it where you can never disagree or you have to always agree with the authority it reinforces this mindset of one person has power and they make the decision and no one can disagree so you can't have conflict conflict is really just squashed because whoever is bigger is more aggressive and scarier and then they get their way to me that's not going to teach a healthy relationship with conflict it's going to go more actually into that conflict creation side where if you have the power you squash people and don't let them disagree with you and if you don't you just listen and obey and don't say a word and hold everything inside so when you are interacting with your children if they disagree with you if they question something if you want to encourage a sense of assertiveness and also not have conflict avoidance be internalized for them you want to encourage them by responding in a way that shows it's okay it doesn't mean that if they say no you say okay you're right we'll do it your way that would be you avoiding conflict to some degree but you can have a conversation so you say do this and they say no okay we can talk about it you can have your feeling that's different from mine that's okay because as i mentioned with Uh, the caller, what can happen is that people have this fear when they don't see conflict or see it in really scary ways, that conflict leads to the end of a relationship. If we fight, that's it. There isn't a fight and get stronger and closer. It's fight and that's it. Relationship over. So I don't want to go there. And we see this so much in families, uh, Iranian families often, where it's like two family members had a fight 25 years ago. Now they don't talk ever since then. Sometimes people don't even remember what the fight was about or what happened not only that people have to take sides so are you going to talk to that person or not because we had a fight so uh, we don't talk to them or if you talk to that person you can't talk to me and so unfortunately I don't think we do well with conflict in our culture it becomes very make or break and that makes it very scary so if the stakes are that high that if I tell you I'm upset, it might lead to the end of our relationship. Well, it's like, oh, forget it. Why would I even bring it up? I'll just hold it in. So that's why I think it's so important to model that conflict is okay. Not only is conflict okay, conflict is inevitable in any relationship. If you never have conflict in a relationship, you either are not that close or you're not that honest. When you're not that close to someone, you might not have conflict with them because your interactions are so infrequent and so meaningless in some way that it won't lead to conflict. Or if you're closer with someone but you never are are, aren't being open with them yeah you can avoid conflict because when you're upset you might hold it in and so that would actually uh, bring up how close are you if you're holding things back but you might spend more time with that person but you won't get that close because you're not actually sharing how you feel so we want to show to our kids that conflict is part of relationships we won't always agree but that's okay it's okay to not agree let's let's talk about it let's figure it out. In some ways, it's kind of like inoculation or how our immune system works. You get exposed to something in a way that you can handle. And then if you meet that same thing again, you can handle it because you've gone through it before. But if you've never experienced it, then if you do experience it, it can seem very scary. And so I think for for many people, conflict feels this way. It's this very scary thing that you should avoid at all costs because I've never done it before. I've never experienced it before. And if it does happen, it's really bad. So as a parent, you might think we never fight in front of our kids. And overall, that could be good in the way that people mean they don't argue or they're yelling or doing things that are scary for their kids. Yes, please do that. Don't have those kinds of fights. But don't think that if you never allow for any tension or never allow for disagreement, that's actually a good thing. Even though in the moment it feels better for everyone to be agreeing, but it doesn't teach them this valuable lesson that, Conflict is an inevitable inevitable part of human relationships. It's not if you fight, it's how you fight. It's not if you're going to disagree, it's when you disagree, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? And if you show them that we can handle it and be fine, and I will love you even if you disagree with me, that can be really important. That you don't have to be pleasant for me to love you, or you don't have to always make me feel good for me to love you. I want you to be real and genuine with me, which means that sometimes you will say something or do something that I don't like, but we can still be okay even with that happening. So it can be good to look at yourself. How are you on this conflict scale? How easy is it for you or hard is it for you? How much do you avoid? How much are you okay accepting, tolerating conflict? Because whether you know it or not, you fall somewhere on the scale of how comfortable you are. And of course, it won't be the same with everyone. With some people, you might be more comfortable than with others. So people will say, oh, in the home, our child creates so much conflict, but they're so nice to everyone on the outside. So it's even more complex than just fear or tolerance. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But I think it's an important factor to keep in mind. And as a parent, it really is something to be very mindful of. How do you handle conflict? Don't make it something scary when it happens. But also don't make it something that we're so scared of we never let it happen because we have to allow for that space to see that conflicts will happen and we're going to be okay not only will we be okay if we handle them well with both of us being open creating a mutual understanding we actually get closer as a result of the conflict so it's not even something scary it's something that can lead to something good all right that brings us to the end of today's show A big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Zan Zendegi Azadi.